Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. Bridge differences with mediation. Okay, hello and welcome to Audio Cam for Cam Scotland. My name's Scott Doherty and I'm here today with Alan Susskind of, of Harper McLeod. Uh, Alan is an accredited family law mediator and a member of Cam Scotland. Uh, and in addition, he's trained in collaborative law sits in the Mediation and Specialist Family Law Accreditation Panels of the Law Society of Scotland and is Coordinating Tutor for the Professional Practice in Family Law Courses at Strathclyde University in Glasgow. Welcome, Alan. Hi there. So we're talking today about picking the right dispute resolution process when you separate and have issues to sort out. Now, at CAM Scotland, obviously, we advocate the use of mediation, but as experienced family lawyers, we know how important it is for separating couples to find the process that's right for them. So can you give us an idea as to why it is important uh, to find the right process? For me, it's actually crucial. Um, The more I've practised in family law, the more I've realised that, uh, quite apart from the legal aspect of things, there's responsibilities involved in being a family lawyer, which maybe you don't appreciate when you're a bit younger, but I think you do appreciate as you get older. And advising somebody as to the process is one of these responsibilities because if you advise them to go down the wrong process then it can obviously have an effect on their relationship not only with the other party but also with their children but actually it could you know depending on how their children are affected by the whole thing it can have an effect on the next generation as well so the idea that we should just go straight in with a client advise them the law and that we don't have any sort of um responsibility or involvement other than that I think these days is is incorrect. You've got to know your client, you've got to understand what they're looking for and you've got to advise them as to the law but you've also got to advise them as to the process. I mean obviously it's it's the law side to recognise that anyway but I think it's a crucial part of what we do. Sure, sure. And by that I don't necessarily mean that it has to be mediation or collaboration the right one for them, that's yes, the point. That's right. So talking about the right one then, can you break down the options that should be available to, to parties? Sure. Um, well, I think there's maybe two categories, if you like. There's the category where somebody else makes a decision, which is if you litigation, if you go to court, or arbitration, which is still somebody making a decision for you. And there's the other categories where you try and encourage people to come to their uh, own uh, arrangements, okay. which are which mediation and collaboration. Um, another process you might consider is negotiation. I'm aware negotiation is a skill, but actually it's the most commonly used process in family law in Scotland, whereby somebody goes in to see a solicitor, send a letter, letter goes to the other side, goes to the other client, comes back, and by trial and error, hopefully you can reach an agreement through correspondence. Right. I think that's a, a is a dispute resolution process. You'd have to call it negotiation. From my perspective, it's not particularly satisfactory. Uh, and why do you say that? Well, I mean, it's well trailed how uh, letters from solicitors, even experienced family solicitors, can be um, adversarial serial in, their, in, in their content to the extent that the initial effect of consulting a solicitor is potentially to drive people further apart. Mm. Um, somebody gives a solicitor instructions, uh, solicitors are zealous advocates, so they incorporate those instructions in a letter but they beef it up from their own point of view or they word it in a certain way that's copied to the other side who copy it to their client who is 
some might say naturally outraged by the terms of the letter and it's not necessarily precisely what the original person said they go in to see their solicitor and they say look what she said about me or what he said about me this is ridiculous, it's ludicrous, it's exaggerated and here's what I want to say about her and all of a sudden we're in a sort of conflict situation that is not always necessary. In fact, I only think it's necessary in a, in a, in a small percentage of cases. Sure, but, but there you're saying that from your point of view it seems to be the most common way of, of approaching By far. cases. By yeah. yeah. far. Why, uh, why do you think that is? I think if you went to see most, to see most family solicitors, even experienced family solicitors, they would default to that. Mm. They would take instructions, they would write letters to the other side. Very often that letter would contain things that may be unnecessarily inflammatory. Mm. They might not even realise it's inflammatory. Yeah. If you get the person a receipt of the letter, actually even just the tone or a word can set you off mm. because you're obviously in an emotional raw situation and that letter just serves to make it worse. Sure. So I think, again, we're back to this word responsibility because um, if you do that, you've got to be aware of the consequences and the consequences are that you may, may set off a train of a reaction that would not otherwise necessarily have, have happened. Sure. But it's interesting how you say that seems to be the default that uh, family solicitors would, would go to. Are you saying then that uh, it's more to do with picking the, the the solicitor that's right for you rather than the... Well, first of all, I think that's the way solicitors are trained. Yeah. I think if you look to talk to most traditional family lawyers, that's the way they, they act. Mm-hmm. People who... Um, there's actually, relatively speaking, a dearth of young family lawyers, certainly a dearth of young... <laughs> male family lawyers sure. um, but I think the training is such that that is the sort of methodology that's suggested mm-hmm. um, and actually I think it's what clients expect yeah. it's the way our sort of if you like our court uh, procedure is going yeah. sounds as though for from a party's point of view someone who's separated sounds as if as soon as they go in to, uh, to see a solicitor they're entering a system that possibly is coloured from the start is that your thought? Yes, I think that's true. Yeah. And I think we all just, to a certain extent, those advising these clients have all just kind of fallen into that. Sure. I, these yeah. days, um, I would not write a pejorative letter. Mm-hmm. Of course, sometimes when a pejorative letter is written to you further down the process and you copy it to the client and the client expects you to respond in a certain yeah. way, you have to explain very carefully why you're not prepared to do that. Otherwise, you may lose the confidence of the client. And I accept that in some cases it's necessary to write a letter that's uh, adversarial in its nature. But my point is that in most cases it's not necessary. Sure. And certainly when you're talking about the welfare of children and if you're critical of parenting skills in the body of a letter and that has been somewhat exaggerated or certain things have been focused on, that's not something you can take back. I mean, these letters remain with the recipient and as you'll have heard of cases where they're actually shown, God forbid, to, to children sometimes, but even if that doesn't happen, they could remi- they, uh, remain as a reminder to people about what the other person has said about them. I just don't think it, it's appropriate in most cases to start to discuss that kind of thing in correspondence. Okay, so so you're a client who goes in to see a solicitor and wants to see uh, your point of view put across because perhaps you're you're, you're used to fighting with your your ex partner or your co parent. And you do want your solicitor to fight your corner a wee bit. You mentioned uh, alternatives to negotiation, uh, for example. I think you mentioned collaborative law mm. a wee bit earlier. Do you want to explain a wee bit about that? Well, first of all, um, because you're not you're you're not necessarily going to write an aggressive letter to the other side, doesn't mean that you're not acting on the basis of what your client's best interest is. I think w- one of the most important things is actually that very point to find out what their interests are. 
find out how to lock in a system of that, but find out what their interests are and explain to them, look, if, for example, your interest is to try and make the, do the best thing you can for your own child and, and you do think that in principle, you know, your partner or your husband or your wife or whatever should have contact, but, you, but you're uns you're not sure what the details should be. Sure. Let's just focus on what the best way to get that sorted out. And I'm saying to you, before I start, write the letter, the best way is not to start saying critical things about why you should get less contact. Probably the best way to deal, deal with it, even before you go to collaborative, would be to write a short letter to the other side saying there's an issue here, and then maybe phone the other solicitor and say, look, can we discuss this? Can we get around the table? Can we talk about this? Okay. But the collaborative process, which I am a fan of, um, takes that a bit further because there's rules in relation to it whereas in your average four-way meeting there is no rule there are no rules and you make of it what you can uh, the, 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 there are features of the collaborative process that make it unique and one, one of the main features is that um, all four parties the two solicitors and the two clients sign up in a participation agreement and the solicitors are undertaking that they will not go to court if the thing doesn't resolve obviously the parties may still have to go to court, but they'd have to find other solicitors. Yeah. But also, perhaps more fundamentally, we're all saying that we're going to act together in the best interest of the family. So you're able to say um, to the clients, let's talk about the welfare of your children and let's talk about it when the other person is there. Sure. Let's hear what they've got to say about it. It might not be nice. It might be difficult to hear, but let's have a conversation about it so we all understand where we're coming from. Mm. And it's not necessarily put through the, the prism, if you like, of what a solicitor um, you know, is saying about it. Yes. Um, very powerful talking about the welfare of children with um, uh, with the parents there and the solicitors there. Mm -hmm. Almost as powerful as talking about it as a mediator when the lawyers aren't there. Um, collaborative process as well. You can bring other people. I don't know why mediation we can, but you can bring family law consultants in, psychotherapists. You can bring IFAs in. You can bring trained specialists in to advise on the bits that maybe solicitors think they might know a lot about but in yes. fact maybe it's better to get somebody who's actually been trained in those areas yeah. to, to, to be brought in and, and assist. And it's interesting what you said earlier about the the, the, the participation agreement uh, and how if in any way discussions break down you won't the, the solicitors who are actually involved won't go to court uh, and that I don't know if you've experienced that yourself in practice the threat that you know that you might receive or even send to the other side that um, if things don't work out, we're, we're just going straight to court, and that's it's a very, very common thing. used commonly to drive discussion. If you use that in collaborative, really, you'd have to come out of the collaborative process yeah. if you threaten court action at any stage. That's the antithesis of what it's all sure. about. I mean, I have to say, in my normal correspondence, I only threaten court, threaten court action as a very last resort. I may mention things like there would appear to be no other option going to court, yeah. but the kind of end of letter saying, you know, threatening the court action and. It's an aggressive, angry missive, particularly in the welfare of children. I just don't think it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Even if you do intend going to court. So if, if you, again, are a client and you have a child and you think, you know, maybe the, the way our system is set up, you think automatically, well, this should be dealt with in court, but you go to a collaborative lawyer, uh, how is the collaborative lawyer going to sell? Well, I wouldn't try. I mean, if it's a hard case, if it's a difficult case, if there's issues about wealth, you know, serious issues with welfare mm -hmm. of the children, this is the thing about selecting the right process. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, in a way, if you market yourself, people get, if you're known as someone who does collaborative law and mediation, you don't tend to get these cases. I mean, yes. other, I work with other lawyers, and they tend to get those cases. Sure. It, it, it seems to there seems to be people themselves seems to find out by recommendation what kind of case you deal with. Right. But if somebody case came to me with a, the kind of case that might involve violence, for example, because I don't 
think violence fits well in, into mediation or collaboration particularly well. I know some people have a different view of mediation, but mediation can be difficult enough without the spectre of violence. Uh, violence, it, it, obviously there's physical violence. There can also be such an imbalance of power that maybe it's not appropriate. Uh, one of the difficulties that we've all got when we meet with one person, and this is not true when you start mediating or collaborating, but is you don't know about the other person. You sure. don't know what the other person's interests are. So you're trying to advise your own client on the basis of what their interests are. Yes. Now, it's far, far better to advise them knowing what both interests are. And sometimes those interests are concealed by the actions of the other solicitor, in a, inadvertently, in fairness. Hard cases, if you like, cases that maybe are, should be maybe referred to the social work department or, or in borderline or a wee bit, but not suitable for mediation, collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I would never try... And and, ref- and 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 process these cases in, in that kind of way ever. That that's why it's the appropriate you know appropriate dispute resolution. Sure. Equally, there's other cases as well where the person comes in and tells you a history of such. For example, let's say a financial case where the person there's a huge imbalance in terms of finances. One person has never revealed to the other person the finances and has been completely blind to them as far as pr- producing or disclosing or anything like that. When it gets to a certain stage, I think we have to recognise that you have to litigate, especially if there's a suggestion that assets might be alienated or there's a necessity obviously for an interdict or some form of order to protect the person not suitable for mediation and collaboration sure sure i do tend to find these cases are at the extremes i suppose where i'm advising is the middle 60 or 70 percent maybe maybe 80 percent um i would immediately refer those to the people who are appropriate to deal with them okay so you, you've mentioned a uh, uh, collaborative law and mediation. I think you also touched very slightly in arbitration yes, as well. Yeah. Do you want to expand a wee bit on that? Well, I mean, I think um, for me, as we both know, arbitration has for a long time been a clause in separation agreements, not really used. I think it's actually a really good way of resolving a single issue that is in you know that, that the parties just can't reach an agreement about. We had a mediation recently where there was a lot of agreement about various things, but there's one particular issue where the parties just are, and, and it's actually spoiling the mediation in a way, because it, it's it's not that it's not important, but it's become a matter of principle. And I can see a situation where you might take a, an, a single issue that's arisen, and you do need a decision. Like mediation's a mutual process. People can very often, not very often, but people can decide not to continue the process. So you're not guaranteed a decision. One of the good things about the court process is that you are guaranteed an outcome. Whether you Ar- like it or not. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. And arbitration, you're also guaranteed an outcome. Um, and you can pick maybe who's going to be the judge or the sheriff. You know this in private. Um, you know, or at least it's trailed, that it's less expensive, there's less procedure. So it's a sort of litigation light from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, though, obviously, with the new summary sheriffs and summary rules and perhaps pleadings changes and changes to the court rules, if you take out the element of privacy... It may be that the court system are trying to provide a kind of arbitration equivalent, if you like. Sure. Um, so it's it's a possibility. It's not something, to be honest. I, I know in America, because of the, the open-endedness of mediation, there's a process called MEDARB, which at the end of mediation, there's a you go into arbitration because everybody wants an outcome. So if they can't get an outcome from mediation, they'll get it from arbitration. Sure. Sometimes issues of it is the, are the mediator and the arbitrator are going to be different people, but. Um, because some people say, look, we want an outcome here, yeah. which is one of the downsides of mediation. It's very interesting how you, you know, your reference to an appropriate form of dispute resolution. You're using mediation or you're using collaborative law and just one decision has to be made. So 
the automatic assumption would be you will go to court, but you're saying there's another option there mm. in arbitration. Yeah. Um, and is that easy to uh, to refer to? And a lot of these things are easy. I mean, it is easy to refer to, and it, it would be easy in principle. I don't think it's been done often. In fact, I'm not sure if it's been done at all. I think there's been two or three, or maybe three or four arbitrations. You, you know, as the family. There's the arbitration family law group. They have done a few media, a few arbitrations. It's not commonplace by any manner of means. Um, uh, barriers to quite a lot of these things are the expense. Yeah. I mean, court proceedings enormously expensive. Arbitration less so, probably, almost definitely, but still expensive. Sure. Um, one of the advantages, I suppose, of mediation, I always think, is that at least it's split between the two parties. Yes, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Find out how mediation can help you. Follow us at Cam Scotland on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus, or visit camscotland.co.uk. So again, coming back to this client who has various issues to um, to, to to resolve after separation, um, you've talked about negotiation, uh, collaborative law, mediation, and arbitration. Uh, I know it's obviously very difficult to generalise, but do you have an idea as to how the client should approach um, asking the solicitor about which option is best for him or her? Well, I mean, I think, um, especially in relation to mediation, the, the, the most successful mediations are, I think, those where the client themselves have actually looked things up on the internet, looked at the various ways of going forward and decided the mediations for us. And they come to you sometimes without being to a solicitor. And to my mind, those are the ones that are most likely to be successful and almost always are successful. Um, but in the main, for most people, if you want someone to guide you through the separation process and what's going to happen to your children, lawyers are the gateway. Yeah. If you Google divorce, law, family law, never mind law, just divorce, family, or really anything to do with separation, you will get a list of solicitors. Uh, in your geographical area if you're interested that's where the responsibility comes back in because the first people uh, first people that separating couples are speaking to are lawyers so you're in the lawyer's hands and you were saying to me well what should they ask about the process I don't, I don't really think it's like that it's the lawyer there ha- has to fashion the first conversation in such a way that they are obviously interested in the things that matter to the client yes. but, the, but the underlying issues is there, which is what's the best process to use, and it's not much point in selecting it, you know, a few weeks or a couple of months down the line. So managing that first conversation, it might be in the telephone, but really it, it should be in person, and getting across how important it is to the person that, that we, at the moment we choose the right way to go is crucial. Um, and people do come in with uh, set ideas that they have from their social circle, their family circle, cultural norms. I think very often people, when they separate, and it's still quite recent and it's raw, expect that t- that that, I, that lawyers will react to the words like "we're in for a battle here," "it's going to be fight," "going to have a fight," you know, all this sort of stuff. Which I think the lawyers get responsibility to try and smooth out yes. um, and and deal with, and then try and turn the conversation round with the person and say, "Look, you know, there's all these there's these options that we've got to do deal with this." When there is children involved, I can understand when people have split up, particularly maybe say there's another person involved, they may not want a future relationship with the other person. They've had a 
quite often long relationship that's not been successful, they're upset and they don't, why would they want to continue that? But they've got children, so they have responsibilities. So they have what I would describe as a second relationship. And that second relationship is not for them, it's for the benefit of their children. And it should allow them to be able to communicate in such a way that their children will not uh, suffer as a result of their parents' separation. And that separation is, that second relationship rather, is very important. And my whole belief is that that second relationship can be better maintained if you use a process like mediation or collaboration. Mediation, I think, is the best one. I can say more about mediation if you like, than if you do the stereotype litigation or, even worse, if you go to court to litigate with the welfare of your children. Yeah. I'm not sure how many people get over litigating about the welfare mm. of their children. I mean, but it must be difficult, though, if, if the situation's taken a wee bit out of your hands, if you... Uh, yourself have heard about mediation and collaborative law or arbitration, but you've already uh, been served with papers mm. uh, by the, your ex-partner or uh, spouse, and you're in court already without you wanting to be there. I mean, I mean my initial reaction to, to uh, you know, if somebody comes in with a, a writ is that well, we'll have to litigate. I mean, that, that's always, you know, I've always kind of thought that and thought, well, this is a category of case where we've got no option. Still not sure that's the case now when I think about it because there is an option for you to say, look, we've got this. You find out what the issues are. Still worth, I think, phoning up the solicitor, the pursuer. Now, listen, there may be good reasons why they've litigated. Sometimes it's just to draw the person out because there's been no response. Sure. There may be violence. There may be, you know, there may be intransigence. There may be alienation. But in some cases, there may not be any of these things. And I think it's probably still possible at that stage, even if you, you know, to say, well, You've described to me what you shouldn't think, think the issues are. Shouldn't we maybe try and mediate this before before we, yeah. and whether we sister or whether we, we just hold on to the case for a while before we try and still worth a pop. Still worth a pop, yeah. definitely. I never used to think that, but I, you know, at the end of the day, there can be a whole lot of reasons why people have, have litigated. Mm. So you mentioned again earlier that uh, mediation is best mm. when we're comparing that in collaborative law. It's yeah. a very general statement, obviously. Mediation, I think, for me, is, it's interesting because there's different, obviously. Uh, styles, models of mediation. Um, mediation in Scotland is non-represented, so don't solicitors with them. And I can say a bit more, more about that in a minute. But the idea that you have the two, the couple there, uh, who let's take welfare of children again, who can speak about the welfare of their children, and after a wee while, as if if the mediator is skilled, can speak in an environment where they feel reasonably comfortable and are prepared to open up and be emotional and God forbid shout each other a wee bit, get the whole thing off their chest. But what they're talking about is what's best for their child and trying to reach an arrangement themselves was what would be best for their child between them, with the mediator facilitating that, to me, that is the best way of resolving uh, a dispute in connection with the welfare of a child uh, in your average case, and it only happens rarely. Uh, and you mentioned that solicitors aren't normally involved in that, whereas in collaborative law well, this they is, are. If you were to ask me why collaborative law appears to have taken off quicker than mediation, I mean, mediation has had the benefit recently of the English exposure and the, the publicity in England and I think a lot of people in Scotland thought well maybe as a result of that there'll be more mediation in Scotland and I think what it has had the effect of doing is making the word mediation better known but I don't think the Scottish Government or those advising them have taken the view that, that the way the English system has gone is, is right and um, to a certain extent the new the, the sort of uh, the EDR if you like alternative dispute resolution alternative to court proceedings uh, it seems to be very much leaving it in the hands of the professionals uh, to deal with. Now, if we accept that solicitors are the gateway to the profession and somebody comes up and says, I want to 
discuss my case with, they come and see you and they have a, a middle of the road dispute with a couple of children, house, pension, what have you, got to resolve it. The idea that that solicitor may refer that case to mediation is it's just not going to happen yeah. because that actually is the way that solicitor, that's their caseload, that's their business, sure, that's what sure. they do. It's what they do is to resolve that situation and they'll write letters to and fro, perhaps meet, perhaps discuss on the phone with the view to enter into a separation agreement. Yeah. Now, if they pass it to mediation, they will have the possibility of drafting the separation agreement, but all that bit of negotiation in the middle, to be honest, their business, yeah. disappears. So if you were to ask dedicated mediators, are you referring an average case to mediation? If they say they are, personally, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, it's, uh, again, coming back to that idea that the system that you're coming into is already coloured. If the people that you are coming to have a financial incentive to push you in a certain and, and, direction... And, and, and it follows from what I'm saying that if, if you've, you know, there's, there's good reasons as well. You've formed a relationship with a solicitor, someone you've opened your heart to, mm-hmm. you feel that that solicitor is going to act in your best interest, you don't necessarily want to put your heart to, out to anybody else, you want that person who's, who's behind you with you. That's maybe why collaborative is more, um, is, has become more popular. Mm-hmm. Then you have, of course, the other argument, which is, well, why don't we, why don't we deal with representative mediation, which mm-hmm. is something I've looked at in some detail. I mean, there are quite big downsides to it. I think the, probably the biggest downside is the cost of it. Um, it means, you know, you've got your own lawyer there and you've got the mediator. Yep. So any idea that mediation might be somewhat cheaper than the other process, I think, goes out the window. Sure. However, in cases where, and this is where I think more financial cases than the welfare of children cases, cases where there's a lot of money involved and it's going to maybe end up being a court session mega case, why not have representative family mediation? Because it's got, it's got to be cheaper, obviously it's cheaper, than the whole court session procedure. Um, and it representative mediation is different. You spend some time caucusing, you spend some time apart. It's not restricted to a short period of time. It's a whole, there's a whole different skill set involved. There's a skill set involved for the representative solicitors as well. It's not something that the Scottish system embraced. It has been done. Uh, I actually thought there hadn't been any representative mediations. There have been. There's probably been less than a handful co-mediation have done a couple yep. um, I <coughs> I think if you're talking about the welfare of children in a way you don't want lawyers and lots of people there you want heart to heart from the two people mm. and therefore I very much favour the non-represented model for that yes. there is a possibility as a direct alternative to going to court not something you might consider right at the beginning that representative mediation if I can put it this way in high value cases might be a useful mm-hmm. way of dealing with it rather than going to court. But then some might suggest that that's very, very similar to collaborative law and why not just go ahead with that instead? I think that's what, to be honest, I yeah. think that's what has been has happened in mm-hmm. Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, I mean, I, I've been mediating for a long time and it, it's obviously always been in, uh, of interest to me why more cases aren't mediated. And, and it's not because the mediation process, I mean, there are downsides to mediation. It's a mutual process. Therefore, somebody, if they don't like what's happening, can leave. That that has its problems. Sure. Um, there also, I think, are some people, and it's to do with the culture of where we live, that this whole idea of making their own arrangements and coming to their own decision when they're in conflict is con- it's it's contrary to what they understand to be mm. to happen. You know, it's it's the direct opposite of the day in court thing. Yeah. And the day in court thing, despite people laugh about it, it is quite strong in some people. Well, I just want someone to make this decision for me. Now, we're not saying that. 
when we're mediators. We're saying, actually, we would like you to make this decision yeah, ourselves. Take responsibility Indeed. for it and own your, your own future. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, what, what you're suggesting there, I mean, it could be said that it's quite controversial, certainly from the family law profession's point of view, that, 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 that perhaps uh, there is a financial incentive um, there to... to um, not press, but it's just that the way things are done, that this is, you know, attempt negotiation, if it, negotiation doesn't work, we'll go to court. Now, I mean, I don't think you think, that, I, I think that's probably about 90% of cases in Scotland, that's what happens, maybe yeah. more. Yeah. But you, I mean, are you saying it's a conscious choice or it's just... As I think it's by default. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, because on, on the CAM Scotland website, uh, the, the the new website that's been released, that there's reference to the guidelines mm-hmm. that solicitors themselves Absolutely. have to to follow, mm-hmm. uh, and the duty that they have um, with uh, the the law society to explore with their clients the various options. Uh, are you suggesting that's maybe just not done? Well, let's say for collaborative a collaborative option, for example, uh, there's maybe a hundred and something trained collaborative lawyers, which is. I think it's only 40 or 50 trade mediators. But would you, do you think that somebody who's not collaboratively trained when a client comes in is going to suggest the collaborative procedure? I know that's an extreme sure. example, but oh, I don't think they are. I suppose my concern is that for me, it, the whole idea of which process you pick comes pretty close to the actual merits of the case. You've, you've got to manage the client. The client's got to have a chance to see what the merits of the case are, but picking the process is almost as important. Um, I suppose what I'm saying is I sometimes think that the bit about picking the process might take up about two minutes. I'm not suggesting... I'm not sure if at first meeting your average family lawyer mentions mediation collaboration. Mm-hmm. I'll ask people who will listen to this to make to, to form their own view <laughs> if they do. I would suggest to you that if they did, there'd be a far, far higher instance of collaboration and mediation. You touched briefly <laughs> on what happens down south. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, down south, if you're trying to raise most types of family actions, uh, divorce and contact cases, you have to, um, you're, you're, all, you're, you're forced into an information meeting yes, um, which explores these options. With somebody who's got experience of... Uh, and the argument therefore would suggest that it, it takes the matter out of the solicitor's hands, the solicitor who may by default just go straight to court. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what these compulsory information meetings do is to say, well, regardless of what your solicitor or what you say, you've got to go and find out what options might be best for you. Do you follow that view? Do you, do you agree with what's well, happening I mean, down I, south? Well, I mean, I have followed what's happened down south, and I think there's been obviously different stages. I think there's a, if we talk about mediation rather than collaboration, I think there's a fundamental flaw in so much as one of the big strengths of mediation is it's a mutual process. Um, Voluntary. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, now, People find ways in the early days of avo- avoiding myams. Um, I think I, I don't know precisely what they were, but uh, I think what happened down south was people thought there well, mediation is going to really take off. So any number of people often trained as mediators, and for various reasons it didn't work out like that. Um, if we translate it to the Scottish situation, I mean, these myams took place before a court action. So I don't know how much, what percentage of cases actually get to that stage. But I think one of the whole issues maybe with the legal aid board in Scotland is that family actions are far more than any other kind of action. Contact actions are more than any other kind of family action. And there's an issue about are people just taking those contact actions and letting other people make decisions on their behalf because they can and they can get funded for it. Sure. Um, so in the first instance, I would take it back and say that we shouldn't be making these choices about what process we make just before we go to court. We should be making it way back at the beginning. 
However, if we get to that stage where um, a court action is, and somebody applies for legal aid, I certainly think on the legal aid application, I've, I've been saying this for about 20 years, and I think actually maybe it wasn't, I think at one stage maybe it was on one of the application forms about whether you've considered mediation or not. Well, I think the guidelines changed in December 2015. I'm thinking, yeah, it's got about 15 years ago. <laughs> that's right. I, I that's think right. it was a great, you know, the question then was, well, prior to doing this, should, would, you, would you try another type of process? Of course that should happen. Yeah. Of course it should. Now, the unfortunate thing is if you're a purist, you would say, well, if someone says, well, I'm not going to. Mm. End of story. You're not getting legal aid, and you're forced into. To well, is that, I mean, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, if it's a bit like a court referral, mm. where it tends to be that one person's quite keen on the referral, when the sheriff decides to refer to mediation, one person tends to be quite keen on it because the thing's not going their way, mm. and the other person thinks, well, why, why is this being referred? That's right. These are not ideal situations for mediation. The ideal situation for mediation is when people want to, and their first choice is to resolve things in that way. Well, to be fair, Relationship Scotland mentioned this recently in an mm-hmm. article in the Herald, and what they're saying is it's it's not forcing you into mediation. Again, it's forcing you into finding out about mediation no, no, and, I'm all for that. And, and what have you. When it gets to the stage, well, I mean, I'd be all for that at any stage, mm-hmm. but particularly when it gets to the stage where someone's considering a court action, absolutely, yeah. why not have a discussion with it? That's right. Because actually, quite often, you, you might find then that people haven't fully understood what the options are. Mm-hmm. So I think in England it was just it's usually a mediator, but it's somebody who's trained in, in, in various alternative dispute resolution uh, processes that, that takes them. I am, and that, somebody like that having a chat with people together or separately, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly mediation I find intake that it, it really helps with the joint meeting, but I don't think there'd be funding for that. So I think you're maybe talking about half an hour with them both. Sure. Not easy for the person who's dealing with that to deal with that properly. Mm-hmm. You've got months, if not years, of conflict all being focused into quite a short period of time. That's right, that's right. Well, you, you never know what's going to happen in the, the coming years. So, uh, again, coming back to that client who is coming to, to see a, a solicitor for the first time, whether they're, they've been served with anything or whether they've just recently separated, mm-hmm. what do you think your key message would be in terms of finding the right option? As far as the client's concerned, is they've got to look at the, where they find themselves, what's important to them, you know, is it the welfare of the children? Is it the financial thing? It might, might be a combination of them both. And they've got to decide, um, and they've got to make an informed decision about which of the processes they use. The only person that can really, I mean, there's websites. We advert here for the Right Can Divorce <laughs> website. Yep. And um, you can certainly go on there and, and find out about the different processes. They really ought to, you know, I, I know a lot of people are really upset, so they're not going to go onto the internet, first of all, and find out about the processes. But it'd be good if they did, so they had a bit of an idea about the options that were available. But again, I would say when they come in to see the solicitor, they're upset. You know, the solicitor is the person who's, you know, hopefully knows what they're doing, knows the various processes. That should be the person that guides them and that listens to the case, listens to what they would like to achieve, and advises them what the processes are and tries to help them to pick the right one. Excellent. Big responsibility yeah. on the solicitor for that. Brilliant. Okay, so thanks Thanks very much for your time today, Alan. I'm sure those listening will find it very useful. Cheers. And you've been listening to Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. You've been listening to Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. For more interviews and links to our mediators, subscribe on iTunes and thanks for listening.